Welcome to Chaotic Literature, where we give you our hot takes on the most famous novels of our time. I'm Laura. I'm Laura. And on today's discussion, The Great Gatsby. Trigger warning. Uh, possible swearing. Lots of ADHD tangents. Bashing of the elite. Uh, talk of abusive relationships, intensity and confusion, and uh, lots more. So... What do you think? Uh, do you think The Great Gatsby is the quintessential American novel? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, no, I don't. <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, in some cases it can be considered that. You know, I think the it's the quintessential American novel in the way that it portrays the U.S. from the view of outsiders, you know, and like the greed and selfishness that's often related to that. Yeah, I... I, I don't think it is, um, for many reasons. But like, for example, like, it highly romanticizes. It only portrays um one part of the the United States of America, and it portrays a very narrow-minded perspective, one in which the a massive part of the United States is ignored because the U.S. isn't just a rich, uh, straight white <laughs> like set of white people. It's it's pretty well known for being decently culturally and racially diverse some going as far as to refer to it as a a melting pot and this novel only shows the rich straight white people especially and, men um, yes especially men it's like very yeah what i say white people because like it does go and talk about white women as well but it's a pretty sexist point of view mm -hmm. and it's like it the u.s is not just that and so in order to call it the quintessential american novel is just to ignore a huge part of what the united states is and what america is um which does happen but that doesn't make it quintessential yeah and i think that's especially you know we see that a lot in the history that it is presenting you know the U.S. is known for romanticizing the 20s as, you know, the opulence and the glitz and the glam and how it was all perfect and great. And we know that's only the case for a very specific few and that very specific elite. And, you know, The Great Gatsby really plays into that side of things, you know, especially if you look at the movies and the way that all the gold and silver and the riches and everything, the way that's portrayed is, you know, it makes it pretty clear who the quintessential American public is in this case. Oh, yeah, and especially with um, the Leonardo DiCaprio version. I know that's not the name of the director, but I can't remember <laughs> the name of it, so it's that one. Um, <clears throat> like, that one just goes above and beyond to make it... And quick sidetrack, just because, you know, um, like, can we, can we just, like, notice how, for anyone who's watched it, but... Um, I only watched a small portion of it, but, like, it's it's so weird that it went and, like, put just, like, rich white people on top of, like, music written predominantly by black artists. Mm-hmm. That's really true. Like, it yeah. was so weird to listen to. Because, like, part of, part of a historical film is typically that you try to put the audience in the time so that they can better relate and therefore better understand the story. But there it was just a weird mix. Because the music, like, 
It wasn't even close to being 1920s. It was like genuinely 21st century rap. <laughs> I mean, I think that's part of the charm, sort of the modernity it brings to it. But in in relation to the, the novel specifically, it's not supposed to be a historical novel, and I get that. But it does like it makes it clear who Fitzgerald's, who not only who his public is in a sense, but also you know the perspective he's trying to show is a very specific one, and I think it, he makes that very clear throughout the book. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, oh, God. Well, okay, so with it not clearly being a quintessential American novel, I mean, like, a, From a big part of it is... No, yeah, yeah. Um, other people, if you feel like it, I don't know how you're going to respond, but go for it and tell me what you think. Um, but I think something that also makes it not very quintessential um is just the toxicity of it throughout this entire freaking novel um just oh my god the amount of toxicity <laughs> throughout the thing every single like, character every, every single, one. single character it's like it's like the way like you've mentioned before i think like the way the relationship between uh what's her name daisy and her daughter pammy I did check, by the way, her name is Pammy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the relationship between them, the relationship between Gatsby and Daisy, Daisy and Tom, Tom and Myrtle, Nick, and literally anyone whosoever. Um, just, like, everything about it, and also, like, the portrayal of... There's... I don't know how else to explain it, because it's, like, also just society as a whole... With the rest of the characters, it's not necessarily mm-hmm. one character pitted against the other. Because, like, if we look at it, the amount of trying to conform, the amount of conformity oh, that's yeah. going on throughout the novel is just an extremely toxic trait of society. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, like... I think yeah. that's, that's, for me, is where Daisy is so... It, it's a conflicting character because I don't know whether to pity her or to not like her at all. Because... Daisy, she is extremely toxic in the way that she sort of manipulates people around her. And she portrays herself as, like, this sweet and innocent and naive girl. Um, And, you know, we sort of know that that's not really how it is. You know, she talks about her daughter and says, like, she hopes that her daughter is a beautiful fool because that's all a woman can be in that society. Which sort of shows that she's, she's very aware of what her role is and what she's supposed to fit into. And she plays into that a lot. Um, and we see that, like, the way that she is described, she has sexual tension with literally everyone in the book, even her cousin, and it's extremely awkward. I was, I was awkward. thinking about that. I was like, what's with the cousin incest in this Yeah, novel? it's weird, and it's like, I think that, I know, I think that's Fitzgerald. He portrays, you know, the girl that everyone loves. I, I made this comparison, and it's like, the cool girl from the 21st century in the 20th century, you know, like, think... Um, Gone Girl, uh, they, the character talks about how she had like put on this role of the cool girl who likes soccer and football and who's just one of the guys and drinks beer um, and she sort of put on that role to fit in. Like the tomboy. Yeah, and Daisy's doing tomboy, that. Yeah. Daisy is doing the 1920s version of that where she manipulates herself because she knows that's the only way that she can fit in and that's why a lot of women gravitate towards that idea is because that's what society expects of them. And so I think that's why she seems like such a, a sexual character, really. 
right? Like she's just so. Yeah. It's like, weird. I think it, it's. I think actually when when you put it like that, um, like I just realized it's 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 why a lot of people find a lot of things uh, sexy. Um, <laughs> like like what happens a lot with uh, psychology, I believe, when it comes to like sexy, is mystery. And mm-hmm. by ha- and so by Daisy having this sort of manipulative behavior that is mysterious but also not so mysterious that you're put off by it, mm-hmm. um, it kind of makes everyone go ooh yeah. <laughs> for some reason, and so <laughs> they all go after her. And um, no, and yeah, like I've mentioned in class like a bajillion gazillion times. Um, just, this is one of the things, but the whole thing of manipulation, like, what I was saying is, like, every single character has some sort of manipulative behavior, because if you look at actual human Mm -hmm. behavior, we're all manipulating something every single second, because that's how society works. Mm -hmm. Um, I think probably regardless of whether society's toxic or not, we're all going to slightly change our behavior no matter what because it depends on the person that we're with, our level of comfort, etc. And so it's a slight manipulation, whether it's the way you speak. So like me telling my teacher, hi, good morning, miss. Would you (laughs) mind please doing this? I don't really understand this versus turning to my friend and be like, hey, sucker, can you help me figure out or what the (laughs) on earth is this? Um, Like it's a slight manipulation. And like what I've noticed is like every single character in The Great Gatsby has some sort of manipulation tactic, right? And it's not that none of them are unrealistic because unfortunately all of those tactics are realistic. Like even Gatsby's way of getting Nick to invite Daisy so that he could do that, but then also Mm -hmm. tricking Nick in a way. It's just that (laughs) whole thing. Um, It's just a mess. But like, I feel like Daisy's type of manipulation is a lot more of a realistic day-to-day type of manipulation. Yeah. And it's what I've told you before of like, that scene for anyone who's watched Dynasty, um, like literally just the first, <laughs> well, I think five minutes of it, uh, of the first episode, where Fallon Carrington is going on a plane and she's talking and she says in her narration that it's a lot easier to work as a woman in the sense of the fact that uh you get more information when people think that you're the stewardess rather than the person who owns the plane and also the company. Mm. And so it's a slight manipulation like that a lot of women use that I've noticed. A yeah. lot of women use it because it's by using the assumption that the negative assumption that's already stereotyped to you, but using it to your benefit. And you see that actually with a lot of like superhero characters and female yeah. characters in action movies. Like they go and they dress all sexy and then they're <laughs> like, oh, actually, I just killed you. So they like, use the fact that they're underestimated, you know? And like we see, yeah, she talks like Gatsby, um, when Nick is narrating the end of chapter five, he mentions how Gatsby, how Daisy doesn't really fit into what Gatsby expected or like Gatsby's dreams and illusions of her aren't really how she is. And I think that makes it clear that like, you know, she's playing him. And I think part of that is, like, when we talk, like, their relationship is so romanticized and glamorized throughout the novel. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is, like, we want to believe that they're in love with each other. And they're not. Like, Gatsby is not in love with Daisy. Daisy is not in love with Gatsby. Daisy is just they're using loving, him they're in love as with some the sort idea. of... Yeah. Because I feel like Daisy uses him 
as a sort of escape, right? Because, and a sort of revenge for Tom because she knows Tom is cheating. And so her immediate reaction, she she's she's a literal child in the sense like she throws tantrums and she's like, no, I don't care. I'm going to do it to him what he did to me. Um, and then Gatsby, on the other hand, you know, he's obsessed with winning. And we know that, you know, like he doesn't like her. He just wants to win. He wants to be superior to Tom. That's it. And so that's why he like money and daisy are the ways that he shows that he's overcome his past and become the elite you know if you think about it um i i actually just it's like it just uh consolidates is that the right word um the Mm. idea in which daisy is objectified she's an object oh yeah yeah because like what we've noticed what we've noticed throughout is like the whole idea in which uh, Gatsby feels the need to prove his self-worth and his uh, ability to others through the use of materialistic items and mm-hmm. wealth. Mm-hmm. And so hence why that is that whole scene, in my opinion, of uh, him throwing the shirts to show Daisy. It's like he could have literally just sat down and talked with her, but no, he was <laughs> like, let me show you all these freaking shirts. Like he could have offered her food. I food. Know. But no, he was like, look at this shirt and this shirt and this shirt. And like she was like, oh my God. Well. Daisy's immediate and, reaction also, is like, to cry. Daisy. Her immediate reaction no, is to okay, start I think crying? it was like. What? <laughs> I, I think it was a mix of uh, like its wealth, but also for me, it was also a thing of it's actually something that's close to him like literally physically close to him so therefore Mm -hmm. it's a reminder of sorts uh a trigger in a sense Mm -hmm. um (laughs) no but what was i saying oh yeah so like he just throws the shirts and that's the material Mm -hmm. wealth and him showing off because it was daisy's parents who said no you can't be with gatsby because he's poor and so him showing it off is like oh am i worthy yet yeah um I think that's also why he doesn't really attend his own parties because he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to show it off. It's not like I actually <laughs> like <laughs> he it. He doesn't really care. It's not like I actually <laughs> like it. And so for him to then go and be like, oh, look, it's Daisy, but then be like, it's woman. It's woman. It She's proves quite literally that I can a trophy get the wife. woman. She's literally a trophy Yeah, it's wife. like, I can get the woman. Here she is. It's like a trophy. It's... It's a literal object uh, objectification of uh, <laughs> of the women. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's it's and still even after all of that, Gatsby is not above the Buchanans. You know, like we talked about this in class, the whole difference between old wealth and old money versus new wealth, new money, and the difference between wealth and money too, and that idea that sort of like. As much as Gatsby tries, he will never be at the level of the Buchanans. And he, his materialistic tendencies show that. You know, like, the Buchanans, they have a huge house. They have all of that. But they don't feel the need to be hosting parties every day. They don't feel the need to be flaunting their wealth every day. They do it in subtle ways. You know, like, their house is still this extremely grandiose house. We still see... Um, you know, Tom is a polo player and polo is already a sort of like a very rich elite sport. At least in oh, my yeah. mind, that's how I think of it. No, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. Because just taking care of a horse and then, is extremely so, expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like as much as Gatsby tries, him just going and 
doing all of these materialistic things and throwing all of these parties and sort of like throwing his wealth on people it becomes almost like a turnoff to daisy in the sense like we when he does take her to his party she does not enjoy it at all she like she makes that clear we sort of see the way that nick narrates it he makes it clear like daisy isn't having a good time and gatsby hates that gatsby gets extremely annoyed that she you know she's not enjoying this because in his mind he's like i did this all for you which we know isn't really the case and i feel like that just shows the big difference between both of them you know and their reality he thinks that it's yeah it's that he thinks it's the material which i think is a like when you think about it is it continues to be a huge thing that's played into society like the whole idea of again romanticizing relationships which uh, I think we can touch on, uh, in which it must be typically, like, think about movies. It's the rich guy more mm-hmm. most of the time that wins. And mm-hmm. if it's not, there's a huge transformation that oh, yeah. occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's same with the beauty scenes, the, uh, what's it called, glow-up scenes? Don't yeah. Remember what they're called. She's all that type yeah, of thing it, where she um, takes off her glasses and suddenly yeah. she's perfect. I mean, it's really fun to watch, but it's not <laughs> realistic and it's not healthy. Yeah. Um, it's society being toxic again. But yeah. um, it's like trying to use symbolism, but then it backfiring in the worst way possible. <laughs> That's really what it um, is. Oh my God. It is. Um, it's. And it's not it, only. It's just a. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, it's not only Gatsby and Daisy's relationship that's toxic. It's quite literally every relationship in this book. Like, all of them. Not only, like, Daisy and Tom, but, like, Tom and Myrtle, Wilson and Myrtle, Nick and every character there. You know, he literally punches her. Oh, yeah. You know. Literally punches and breaks her nose. Wilson locks locks her in an attic. Wilson locks her in an attic. The the fun parts. Oh, you know, Daisy running over oh my god it's just the drama totally totally healthy (laughs) totally healthy no is there any relationship that's actually healthy in this novel no the only sort of semblance i think of a of a healthy relationship would be jordan and nick and even that just doesn't work because nick the way nick talks about jordan baker is so he's he talks yeah, but not only that, because when he talks about their relationship sort of after it's all happened and they sort of broke up but didn't really yeah. break up, you know, he had that whole confusion where he was technically married but not really, and he was going to get, it was when he got into West Egg in the first place. It was very weird. I don't know what was going on oh, there, true. but um, yeah, but his relationship with um, Jordan Baker, when he talks about it, he talks about it um, he, it almost seems sterilized. That's not the right word to use, but he talks about it. He's so analytical of it. He's like, um, I think I loved her, but I'm not really sure. The way she played golf was cool. You know, that's sort of how he describes that relationship. And so it's like the one sort of view of a healthy relationship that we get is the one that, one, didn't work out. It isn't even healthy. Yeah, It isn't even healthy, but like the healthiest in the book, um, or the least toxic, I guess, it is the one that was the most boring in a sense, and the one that was least mm. talked about or cared about throughout the book and so it's like it makes it very clear that that's not what you want like they make they make people want a toxic relationship the amount of people i've spoken to who think the great gatsby is a love story is oh astounding just googling it online you search the great gatsby and people are like 
my god, it's a romance. It's a love story. No, it's not. <laughs> it is not. Love <laughs> is respect, growth, self-assurance. Assurance That's not of what the they other. have. Like, yeah. th- no. The one, okay. It's not that. The one love that we do have in this book is between Nick and Gatsby. Nick is in love with Gatsby. No one can change my <laughs> mind. Nick is in love and with Gatsby. And it's not even love. It's infatuation. Yeah, exactly. But like the way he talks more about Gatsby or talks about Gatsby in more of like this adoration and romantic way than he talks about Jordan Baker, who he no, was wait. literally dating. Like yeah, it's, you, you mentioned at one point, you sent me a quote of it where he literally just goes, wait, here it is. Uh, if I find it. I'm going to keep talking while no, you look but, for that. Okay, while it's loading. <laughs> while it's loading. <laughs> um, no, because, like, even it's... And it shows it's weird because that's the relationship that sort of shows the class um, struggle in the book. And that shows a sort of difference between Nick and Gatsby. Even though Nick is not poor. Let's make that very clear. Nick comes from a rich family. Nick does have money. Um, but, you know, when we compare Nick to Gatsby, Nick is sort of seen as poor. And, you know, he's the working class or whatever. And the infatuation that he has for Gatsby shows a sort of class struggle where Gatsby only uses Nick. He manipulates Nick. Oh, there's another manipulation. He manipulates Nick to get to Daisy. And then he completely ignores and discards Nick. And you know, we see that, like, when Gatsby and Daisy... And he also, Daisy- like, causes Daisy to cry. I know. And, like, okay, when we first see Gatsby and Daisy meeting, first, it was at Nick's house, you know. Gatsby only began talking to Nick because of his relationship with Daisy. But when they do meet... It's like Nick is the middle ground. Nick describes it. Yeah. And when Nick describes it, he you can sort of see that he's hurt because he talks about, like, oh, they just completely forgot I was there. I didn't matter anymore. So when he left, no one really cared. No one really noticed. And so... That's, like, sort of what it is, like, right? Uh, Gatsby just traded up, He's the buffer. Basically. Yeah. He's the yeah. buffer. Because then, like, when when Gatsby's like, oh, okay, do you want to come to my house to show Daisy around? He's like, oh, but Nick, please come. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's weird because in the end, Gatsby is just, he's literally just trading up, right? He's like, he wants to get rid of Nick to be with Daisy, but at the same time, nick becomes sort of like a safety blanket for him in the way that Mm -hmm. like it's sort of his reassurance that what he's doing is the right thing like he needs that sort of and it isn't the right thing. confirmation bias confirmation bias very much very nice that's really what it is it's yeah he's just he's gatsby just wants to climb the social ladder and he'll use anyone possible to get to that so oh yeah for sure uh no like i think uh yeah there's no point in talking about how he described jordan baker it's just basically the same way he describes gatsby just Mm -hmm. going even more in depth with gatsby which by the way there's such a weird amount of detail when it comes to the description of appearance for each character Mm -hmm. yeah because that matters so much never really seen i've never really seen in a novel like appearance matters a lot and a lot of novels talk about appearance because it matters. And mm. it gives the reader a sense of, um, like, something to imagine. Something to base it's not, themselves like, a on. movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
with since it's not like a movie where you can visually see it and therefore you don't have to go and explain everything because it's visually shown uh clearly mm-hmm. um but like it's such a weird amount of description but no what i was gonna say is um like i think like well, we talked about how daisy's relationship with nick no not nick with gatsby is thoroughly romanticized and called a love story and whatnot um Mm -hmm. and it's the issue with not only that one but like the entire novel having toxic relationships and basically no healthy relationships Mm. is that that and also with the media in general it just affects society and the consumers and therefore we continue to romanticize toxic and unhealthy and abusive relationships and that doesn't actually help anyone instead it actually worsens it because we put set unrealistic expectations for our own Mm -hmm. relationships in the future and like yeah we uh, i've mentioned to you before like the opposite it's not exactly the opposite but it's like rom-coms it's they're so perfect that it's unhealthy because you create the unrealistic expectation that love lives are perfect yeah. and love is perfect mm-hmm. and and it creates a it just perpetuates this toxicity because no one's being taught how to healthily yeah manage anything mm-hmm. and it's just creating an unrealistic expectation of like oh my god either i go for the bad boy that is gonna abuse me and hurt me <gasps> or i go and try to get my prince charming except he sucks and then i get upset when it doesn't work out as easily as i want it we love that and i think i say prince charming but it could be princess you know all that yeah (laughs) um and i think you talked about this you had told me this and i was like yeah basically um about how the relationship between a doll's house and the things they carry or oh my god the great gatsby (laughs) and (laughs) the books are all getting jumbled so many connections oh yeah so many it's, i was just there like including like, like oh, relationships maybe. Mm-hmm. no i was like okay maybe they can think of a thing or two and then all of a sudden i was like brainstorming a full-on page <laughs> i mean yeah I was, like, those two books they're very similar definitely in what they talk about yeah because they're talking about like they they both are like representations of the elite but the way they talk about women, it's just, like, the same. It's, it's the it's a different... It's the same, but different. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but there are aspects of it where you look it's, at the characters and you're like, those are basically the same person. And then you look at other characters no, and it's like, yeah. mm, And it's different. I think yeah. it's, the, it's the same in which there continues to be sexism, you know, society just bashing. Um, and then, like, I'll mm-hmm. explain the character what's it called parallels comparisons but yeah but uh the way it's different that i noticed is that the what's it called the the The, um oh the women at the end in the great gatsby at least i didn't notice any like sort of liberation yeah, the one attempt at liberation. Entirely. There was a, an attempt at liberation, except no. Yeah. And in the in a, a doll's house, it is actual liberation, but it's mm-hmm. also, like, you know, limited to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but but it's not... There's, there's decently strong character arcs and women in the doll's house. 
And I don't see that personally in The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a bias, but yeah, no, I don't I see think it. With The Great Gatsby, you know, the one moment of liberation that we're talking about is Daisy getting to drive a car, which just is so insane to think <laughs> about that. That's the one moment that we're like, oh my God, she finally has control over something. And Fitzgerald makes it very clear and like reinforces the idea that that control is a bad thing because when she does get the liberation, when she does get that ounce of freedom, she kills someone. So it's like, and in the end, it's basically like she should never have had the control in the first place is basically the argument that they're making or that Fitzgerald is making in this case. And it's, it's, mm, it like grinds my gears a little bit because you think about it. It goes with the toxicity. Oh, yeah. Basically, the conclusion is this novel is toxic. Toxic. Yes, (laughs) is our conclusion. With sparkles. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But yeah, and what I think, okay, I think the comparison or the parallels that you had made between characters, the one that struck me was Jordan Baker and Christine. Christine. And the way they're That was the first one I thought of. Mm Mm-hmm. Because like, they're both, they're both women, but in a sense, you can see them as they're women, but they're men. Yeah. Um, because they, they're almost seen as men to a certain extent because Christine... Uh, was married is now widowed and so she's allowed to therefore have a job and work mm-hmm. and not just be a housewife um meanwhile Nora is like completely told despite literally being a woman she has a husband and therefore cannot do anything mm-hmm. and then Jordan which is like you know the work is uh for Christine the work is the male thing and um Mm -hmm. and then you have jordan who is a celebrity in sports and a male dominated sports specifically exactly and just sports in general at that time was very much seen like as something that was masculine yeah male dominate um and and a lot of things it does continue to be hence why Mm -hmm. we see a lot more of like you know the World Cup being men's, and then we go with the Women's World Cup, even though they're both oh, World Cups. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, um, like, and Jordan, she continues to have these conversations, and she's able to be so nonchalant about so many things. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, like, Daisy is not. Like, Jordan could literally be there and just talk about a party or anything at all. Mm-hmm. And Daisy, if she goes and does that, it's like, no. Yeah. And I think... Off. And I think the big thing that I took out of it was, like, Jordan Baker and Christine, they're the only ones that receive some sort of respect from men. You know, Jordan Baker receives that respect for being so good at golf. And them receiving that respect and them being, um, you know, working women, and that, that immediately makes them unattractive, and suddenly they are unlovable, which is why none of them get any like their lives don't come into fruition in the way that which is daisy sad. yeah we don't hear anything about in the Jordan sense Baker, like basically like it, after like, her relationship it, with with nick yeah no because um sorry i'll let you continue in a second but like what i mean by it's kind of sad is like the the sad part is not that Oh, the fact that they're not being sexualized. That's that's mm-hmm. not the sad part. Yeah. The sad part is that they're not being sexualized anymore. And they're being treated with respect. 
mm-hmm. because they're seen as men. They're therefore seen as equals. Yeah. And it took mm-hmm. that. And what's in sad order about that is that not be sexualized. Yeah, and suddenly we uh, begin to associate, um, you know, Daisy being sexualized, and we begin to associate her toxic relationship, her very abusive relationship with Tom, as the goal. That's really scary to think about, right? Because when we read this book, we're like Jordan Baker. Nothing happens in her life. And that's not a bad thing. She has a stable career. She's doing well. She's out and dating. You know, she dated Nick. But we, when we read the book, we're like... She's independent. She's independent. But when we read the it's novel, like when we read the novel, that is turned into a bad thing. And we suddenly are like, hmm, that's not good. Why is that the case? You know, why is it like that? And Even though Nick could be argued to maybe be an equal of that. Yeah, that's true. That's because true. Nick doesn't really do much. I know. If anything, Jordan is even better off. Like, she actually has oh, a yeah. job, a stable job. And Nick is just there like, oh, I was narrating Gatsby's life because I'm essentially in love with him, infatuated. <laughs> you know, um, he has a job in and Wall Street, technically, but not really. You know, the Bonds business, which is what everyone did at the time. And he basically gives he it. basically gives that up the second he judges so much Mm -hmm. he judges so much for someone who did something that every other person did because every other person did it and every other person did it because that's what got them rich like that job made money that was it and he judges this elite when he first of all he's basically part of that elite he comes from a family of money you know um i feel like the only reason he differentiates it is because he didn't make that money yeah but that's but that's what's weird right because tom didn't make that money either daisy didn't make that money either they have old money they're considered higher in the social ladder than gatsby is and you know and nick is related to them he he is up there on the social ladder and still we see in the novel we see nick being and gatsby both of them being portrayed as like the little man you know what i mean like they're the the little man that's always crushed and ignored and used which yes it's it does the nice fit. guy tm yeah oh my god yes and like yeah that does fit but also that's such just a bad <gasps> way to think it's, about they're it they're the nice guy tm and tom is um the bad boy that everyone actually falls in love with the jock He's the jock. Oh my god. Yeah, that's a way better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very He true. plays polo. It's, he it's... plays polo. He's the jock. <laughs> he is the jock. He's a very racist, sexist oh, no, jock that somehow still no, ends up wealthy and doing well. Oh. That somehow um, racist, is always in the jock. trope for a large part of history. Yeah, yeah. It's, hmm. And, okay. I had thought about this. We'll go back to the to the adult house connection in a second. Um, just going off on a slight tangent. It was in the trigger warnings, guys. Yes. You should be ready for this by now. Um, so this representation <laughs> of the little man, it's sort of like we begin to see this like, oh, I'm going to use the liberal arts student terms now, um, a dichotomy uh, between like oppressor and oppressed. And they sort of invert that, right? So like, by the end of the novel, Gatsby becomes the victim, which is so infuriating to me 
because he he caused all this chaos and he was just not a good person but by the end we see um wilson who is the actual like oppressed by society working man become the oppressor he killed gatsby he's portrayed as a madman he's it like it's so awkward for me to look at that because they flipped the roles there and suddenly Gatsby is once again the little man Gatsby is the oppressed because he was killed it's funny why wouldn't they because I think it comes down to wealth because Mm -hmm. why not why else wouldn't they put Tom yeah as the oppressor yeah, and Tom As is the, the ultimate. Ult, Tom is the ultimate oppressor, the ultimate villain, right? He was the one who told Wilson that the car belonged to Gatsby, and some. He also was the one who went and cheated on Daisy with Myrtle. I know, and some, and he's, he's the, the abusive one husband. Who you know, stole the love of Gatsby's life. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's infuriating because it's just like this it's like a corruption of society like fitzgerald he reinforces these stereotypes by making wilson the one who kills gatsby and uh, it's just it bothers me especially because like what daisy did daisy ran over someone right she caused a car a car crash she caused a car accident um but wilson he went to Gatsby's house with the intention of murder. He used a gun and killed Gatsby. And so, even so, they both ended up killing someone. What Daisy did and what Wilson did are seen at completely completely different levels, right? Because of the gun and because of, like, his intent to kill, uh, Wilson is seen as more of a villain in that case because he had that direct... Um, intentional urge whereas Daisy and Gatsby you know by proxy are sort of aren't seen as as guilty as Wilson is even though they are responsible for murder I don't remember it exactly but like why oh god I forgot what I was gonna say (laughs) like Daisy is just no, we don't... Did we know whether or not she actually had that intent? No, she didn't have that intent. She was just letting loose for once in her life. I feel like... Yeah, I feel like that thing goes with the toxicity thing. Because, like... I mean, first of all, we're always going to be limited with every single story that's told because we're only hearing it. It's not like we're in the character's brain and even then it's being created by the author. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but like, it's another aspect of, um, society and the toxicity. Like I mentioned it in class because she's, this is obviously an extreme example. Not everyone who finally has a chance to do something goes and kills someone else. Let's mm-hmm. clarify that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like because of the amount of manipulation and conformity that they do, mm-hmm. it ends up limiting how they can... It, it Like, they're never taught... None of these characters have ever been taught, it seems, a healthy way to express themselves. Yeah. 
And so the second they get the chance, and you see this in normal society, everyday society, mm-hmm. the second they get the chance to express themselves, they just go for it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, like, they're not doing it in a healthy manner because they weren't taught so, and so they just go with the first thing on impulse. And I feel and I like think- that's what happens with Gay Daisy. Yeah, and I think that also relates to Gatsby in the sense that Gatsby needs a spectacle. Like, he, his life, he needs his life to be a spectacle. He needs to be the center of attention. Um, and that sort of fits in with the idea of, like, why is there always someone watching? You know, be it the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg, be it owl eyes, be it whatever it is, there's always someone there watching everything go down. And that, like... It's, it's sort of the idea, like, did it really even happen or did it even matter if no one saw it? And we see Gatsby. Yeah. Gatsby needs that, right? He needs that attention. He needs all of that to give him a sense of importance, which is false importance. He's not actually important. We know that because by the end, no one comes to his funeral. No matter how grandiose his parties are, no one showed up. And, you know, when they talk about, when Fitzgerald describes his death, he talks about the little ripples that formed on the pool. And that to me was like, whoa. Yeah, Gatsby's life really had, as much as he tried to be important, all he caused were little ripples in someone else's life. Except for Nick, who he, you know, wrote was a full novel. To. Oh, yeah. You know, that's what you do. It's just a normal thing to do. Write a novel about the one person who destroyed <gasps> your life. <laughs> I feel like that actually just fits in so well with like a lot of things. It's like it's that whole idea in which people are constantly looking, I think, in the quote unquote wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um in which like like that is silly cliche phrase of like, oh what you were looking for, you were looking over there, but it was right in front of your nose. It's like Nick was literally there watching the whole time. Like, he wrote a full oh, yeah. novel. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. think about, just think about, which, by the way, there's just a, a singular word, which I know you will want to talk about, too. But, oh, like, God. when Gatsby kisses Daisy. Ooh! And Nick is watching. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, Nick is constantly watching. And it's like, he could have had he could have had um like a good uh like you know friendship with nick friendship situationship whatever <laughs> you know who knows 1920s not very gay friendly but you know if he wanted to maybe <laughs> oh god um secrecy i mean he kicked out can we just Two seconds before going back. Can we just think about the fact that Daisy's ability, just by her, like, look. What was it? Like, she looked at the at the staff in a certain way that caused Gatsby to fire them all. I know. Everything about it is so weird. And even, like, the way to describe her voice. You know, her voice is full of money. It's like, she is so glamorized in that novel. She's, it's, it's incredible how they're able to do that. It's just, it's a trophy. Yeah. (laughs) That, that's what it comes down to. It's a pure, 
it's pure trophy trophy wife trophy mm-hmm. woman mm-hmm. and okay. like yeah but what i was gonna say so he could have had a thing so with nick whatever um but no he was constantly like daisy 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 and he never actually moves forward with his life yeah yeah he, and the he one wants time to go back he to the does past. try to move forward it's like no he wants to fail. go back to the past that's like that's one of the things that is so i don't know how to explain it but in the book the what we see the sort of relationship between gatsby and the u.s is both of them want to revert to the past and that's what makes them that's what makes it so sad right is like they're vying for this dream that they're never going to be able to have which is returning to what it what it used to be um not only is that like an unrealistic goal or dream um but it's also just like it just shows how how stuck Gatsby is in this one moment that showed his failure right um Daisy's family prohibiting him from marrying her was the this moment that was like he failed he did not get the girl and you know he he talks about how when they first uh kissed he was like by that point he was like oh we're married and he just thought he had won and he hadn't at all you know and so it's it just shows how he's so unable to accept not winning no yeah for sure no wait okay i don't know if this is going too off tangent uh like too far-fetched <laughs> but the idea in which wait what was it that you just said oh my god failure failure yes to move on the the idea in which gats no gatsby can't move on I feel like it's kind of reflected in the fact that it's a quintessential novel. It's considered a quintessential novel. Because it's oh clearly god. not. Yeah. It's, exactly. It's clearly not because like... Okay, oh my god. I, I, I mentioned this, right? Like the American dream or how America is viewed in The Great Gatsby versus let's say Americana, The Visitor. Um, What was the other one? Maybe even Get, Get Out. Out. I, didn't, I don't remember a lot about Get Out. But, like, Americana and The Visitor. And keep in mind, those were, like, primarily, like, how the U.S. was seen by, like, people of color and or immigrants. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, which com- shows a completely different side. I mean, it was typically poor, lower class. Yeah. I, I think it shows that how much it's not quintessential. And so by people continuously considering it to be a quintessential American novel, despite it being so limited in what it shows, I feel like we're almost, society's almost Gatsby in that sense, in which we can't move forward. We keep thinking that it's, we we keep trying to be stuck in the past, thinking that it's better. It's it's when people think about the past and say it's just the past and don't realize, oh, it's also Mm -hmm. the present. Like, society has evolved, but it's also still stuck. It's basically, The Great Gatsby is just trying to ease society. Because what Americana and The Visitor show is that the American dream isn't really a reality. Or at least it's not portrayed 
the in the way that it should be portrayed you know like it's this there's this whole idea of like oh you go to the u.s and all your dreams come true and your life is perfect and it's like no life for anyone who is not white male and rich in the u.s is not great or straight it really isn't (laughs) or straight let's not forget straight it really is not great and so like when they say the american dream and use gatsby as an example of the american dream it's just it it's shows like your definition is very narrow yeah and that's like, that's exactly narrow. that's exactly why they call it a quintessential american novel because they think that's what it portrays and it so doesn't like at all it's you know like the Ugh. definition of ignoring the rest of society mm-hmm. like fully 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 it's what's the word like when you see something through a single lens i can't remember i feel like it's like somewhere with bird's eye view something like that but it's not um no and it's just no but okay okay going back to what we were gonna say before the word he freaking used he fucking used when describing daisy like what's his name gatsby kissing daisy blossom oh (laughs) oh oh my god no and it's just it just it's annoying it's the classic trope almost of of men writing about women and you know and he goes on oh my god it goes on it reminds me forgive me anyone with sexual stuff but it's that whole idea of people referring to a woman's vulva as a flower Mm-hmm. like virginity and deflowering he keeps going with that trope you know like by the end when he's talking like right before he he dies he's talking about like what a grotesque thing a rose is and the rose in this case Seriously? is daisy yes and the rose in this case is daisy his love for daisy he c- begins to associate it as grotesque because Can he lost just, like, because daisy would not leave fact. him Oh my god. Can we focus yes. on the fact that he's referring to Daisy as a rose despite her name literally being Daisy? Oh my god, yeah, I know. But it's like, okay, no. The rose is sort of like his love for Daisy. And so when he says it's grotesque, and it's like... And how he goes from describing it as like, oh my god, it's such a beautiful thing to be in love, to how grotesque it is because he lost, because Daisy won't leave her husband and child for him. You know, and, uh, and then it's like, and then the thorns of the rose are the consequences of wanting something so beautiful and pure can, as that Can love. we just like, there we go, there we go. No, like, I love how roses and flowers are constantly used to describe women. But it's like men just thinking about, oh my god, they're so delicate and needing protecting. When literally one of the m- most iconic parts about describing a woman as a rose is the idea in which... Yeah, looks delicate. Like, that whole idea of women using manipulation and the incorrect assumption. Um, Like, as, as, uh, ah, it's like, oh, so delicate, but thorns, y'all, thorns. (laughs) Um, Sort of sticking to the flowers and nature theme, one thing that I thought was super present in the in the novel was this idea of nature in relationship to money it's like when we think about it and when nature is described 
and even just present in the novel at all. It's only present and available to the upper class. You know, uh, we see a place like the Valley of Ashes mm -hmm. being described as simply gray and, you know, buildings. And that is you dead, know, the place for... Yeah, it's dead. Literally dead. And that's a place for like the working class. And it's weird because nature is what we see as a sign of like thriving and growth and we and they present that as something <gasps> only available on contrast to, yeah and they present that as something only available to the upper class which makes sense right because the upper class they have and the elite they have all of the benefits of society and with those benefits it allows them to grow and it allows them to become richer every time and the nature sort of becomes a representation of them growing more and more rich not only you know green as in the green of money and the green of trees but just in general whereas um in the valley of ashes they're just dying off and they're just turning into smoke basically yeah, I mean, I was gonna say also, like, in terms of nature, something I thought of is, like, uh, there's a lot of mention of water, and I feel like mm -hmm. the more water shows up, it shows up further and further into the novel you get. I feel like it's kind of washing away stuff, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, because, like, there's the whole pool, there's, um, when they're at Nick's house, Gatsby and Daisy, and it just starts pouring, and yeah. I feel like things just start getting washed away. And just the division like, between you know, metaphors. Just the division between East Egg and West Egg, right? The division oh, yeah. between them is a lake. That's just plain water. Oh, true. Mm-hmm. Um, no, like nature comes up, especially there's just so many trees and this whole idea <laughs> of flowers. It just, it, it comes up a lot, but it's kind of subtle, even though it's not. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know if that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so, like, you're just there, and it just is is at you, but you don't notice because you're just so sidetracked by the amount of money and wealth and grandeur and everything mm -hmm. that shows up. But in relation to uh, and when he does nature, like, we have... Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. No, and when he does talk <laughs> about... Um, when they talk about Gatsby growing up, they talk about... He was a product, a product of the Nevada silver fields of the Yukon of every rush of metal since seventeen five, and that it's like they that shows like a clear contrast between nature in the sense of farming, um, and like his family and his parents being farmers to Nick now or Nick now sorry Gatsby now literally farming for metal and richness and farming for that position in society. And also the so. whole idea of using silver. Um, mm -hmm. Like, you could have used anything else, but by using silver, you're giving some sort of wealth connotation, mm -hmm. which comes up a lot. Like, in Chapter 6, they mention metallic, and it just... Um, it just gives a whole different sense. And with color, just uh, green coming up a lot with nature, money, uh, even showing envy or, like... I like green cards are a green card in the US, you know? <laughs> but also when you think about it, I was thinking about it, I was like, wait, green card, like it shows citizenship, meaning there's a greater wealth, ability, and access to things. Yeah. Like yeah. it's showing a different sort of status. It's like if you go right now traveling during COVID, like mm -hmm. you should see the line for the non citizen or non Canadian 
<laughs> Canadians apparently go with the U.S. citizens. Yeah. Um, the line for it, like, the hall is bigger than the auditorium, right? Um, for immigration. The line twists mm-hmm. all the way, and then it continues spanning the rest of the hall. And that's just non-U.S. citizens. That's... Mm-hmm. And so, like, that versus being a U.S. citizen trying to enter the country during COVID times, you're going to have... It's it's just greater ease, greater access. You have a a, a privilege yeah. that comes with it, mm-hmm. and also just with color. Um, I think something that's like big about it is just we see that with the shirts. Each one is more colorful than the next, and if you yeah. look at it with historical fashion, um, historically, the uh, upper class, the wealth, the wealthy part of society had more colorful things because they had access to dyes and be Mm -hmm. able to pay for those dyes and therefore it was a display of wealth um and furthermore just looking at white white is a big thing um because like typically i i have a feeling if you were to ask most people oh do you think white is like a socio neutral socioeconomic color most people would say yes but actually historically Mm -hmm. it's not a more so neutral socioeconomic color would be beige because if it gets dirty, there's not really much of an issue because it's not so pristine. But white, mm. you want it to be crisp uh, and immaculate. Crisp and yeah, and so to clean it is just a nightmare. And mm-hmm. um, also, it kind of shows purity. It's not mm-hmm. made for work, and. Um, white comes up so much Mm -hmm. so much like oh my god i've i've noted it like in the same page within two sentences you'll get it showing up twice already one at least once per sentence um and so like it's such a show of socioeconomic level but in a Mm -hmm. way that's subtle um yeah that I it's think just, it's just it, there's always really well there's used. always the novel always has this constant reminder of wealth no matter at what point no matter what they're talking about there's always some sort of connotation somewhere that will remind the you subtle mention of Yale oh my god yeah oh my god and so it's just there's this constant there's something always there to remind you that you are below whoever is talking or you are below oh, Daisy yeah. and Tom and if and you want this- to go and get, like, racism about it, the use <laughs> of white and everything, mm-hmm. like... Tom talking about... The novel's pretty what Tom racist. talking about... <laughs> There's no sugarcoating. Mm-hmm. It is It racist. truly. And it's funny, right, because we even see... Um, there's a point where... Tom is talking about like, oh, it's going to get to the point where even interracial marriage is allowed. And that's... And you're like, how... How does that have to do with anything? And Jordan Baker replies, well, we're all white here. And there's that aspect of white again. Yeah. So, and this idea of white as purity, like that aspect of purity, it, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but it's fine. Yeah, it's a little far-fetched, but it's okay. Um, This purity aspect of it, it really just, it reminds me of sort of the religion that is always present within this book. Like this book has so many subtle moments of religion and so many aspects of that that come in um and this idea of someone is always watching which i know we talked about before 
not only is there a need for a spectacle, but it's almost as if God was watching him, right? Like this, the eyes of T.J. Eckelberg um, and T.J. Eckelberg as a god, and then owl eyes becomes almost like an angel in that idea. And it's it's funny, right? Because Gatsby it seems like the worst representation of religion ever, right? He he commits all the sins possible: adultery, lying, greed, manipulation, gluttony. All of them he has done. Lust. And so lust literally all of them and so <laughs> religion in this sense it isn't like the classic model of like christianity right um but it's this idea of like um a silent watcher um and it's except the silent in that watcher. one sense where there's like a transformation or something when he's yeah. kissing daisy mm-hmm. and this and this idea of like it's a silent watcher until he enacts revenge for all the sins that got to be committed which is ultimately Gatsby's death, right? Um, and, like, the description of Wilson really shows that. When he describes Wilson um, when he's about to um, kill Gatsby, he talks about an ashen, fantastic figure gliding towards him through the am- amorphous trees. And so, like, f- fantastic gliding. It almost seems like an angel, right? It almost seems yeah. like he's talking about an angel. Angel of death, honestly. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but an angel nonetheless is what I mean. And like, and so throughout the book, this religion, um, it becomes so clear. But the religion, when combined with this need for a spectacle, it's almost like capitalism is their religion, right? Capitalism is the ultimate things they look towards. And the ultimate thing that strives everyone forward is that society and is that economic um, role and economic model, Um yeah, it's just, it's crazy to think that capitalism becomes literally like a doctrine for everyone. Yeah, and then like, um, I was thinking like, this whole idea of capitalism and then like purity and religion and children, it just, it all kind of ties together. And there's a part that, um, where did it go? Um... They're talking about uh, children and how it. Their talk of capitalism. How it changes. Yeah, with capitalism. Uh, where was it? I completely. The rich lost get it. richer Here. and the poor yeah, get Yeah, the rich children, get richer and the poor get children from chapter five. Like, it just really only emphasizes the negative connotations of being poor or just being in the lower socioeconomic class and also of having children mm-hmm. and also emphasizes the inequality in socioeconomic status. Um, yeah. And it's kind of, like, showing how this whole idea of purity, like, if you have a child, therefore, as consequence, your life will no longer be pure and you'll also go down. Yeah yeah and And i there's the separation oh my god there's the separation between (laughs) also if you look like at a doll's house as well and also like Mm -hmm. daisy and pammy uh pammy's her name right yeah like the 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 reason why they are able to be rich and still have children is because they don't actually attach themselves to the children Mm -hmm. and they separate themselves and it's something like, yes, the poor get children, but the the women, no matter what level of society they're at, it is an expectation that they start a family. So 
the daughter, like Pammy in this case, she is a quota. She's a quota that Daisy needs to fulfill. Like she needs to fulfill it in order to like check off another thing that fits her role in society. And so she, she really just, that's why we never hear about her daughter. That's why Daisy always seems so um, separated and like there's never any interest because they need to, that's the only thing they're there for is to fill that role. And then from then on, it's like the woman uh, to gain that liberation and to start doing things on her own, she sort of needs to give up the role of mother, you know? And she and it begins to enforce this idea of the baby as a chain and as something that will only hold her back. And yeah, it's, it's a view time, that's really common nowadays, you know? But that, at the like, same a time, a baby it's kind means of you're not independent. Yeah. Mm. But at the same time, it's kind of interesting. Like, it's the whole idea of like teen moms constantly mm-hmm. throughout society um but uh like we it, it's kind of interesting because although she needs to separate herself in order to be seen as independent she also tries mm-hmm. to remove any relation between the daughter and tom mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so all of a sudden it's like the kid is an orphan without being an orphan yeah the kid has more of a relationship with the nanny than with anyone else in that book which is actually really commonly seen, like, there was that video on YouTube um, interviewing oh, yeah. the mothers, like, typically, I believe, of rich families and also the nan versus with the nannies and then the kids. And you see that the nannies know the kids much better than the actual parents do. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of that complete separation. And you see that uh, greater in the higher socioeconomic classes and levels because there's the ability to have that uh additional help which would be the nanny um and i think and we also also see yeah go for it we also see the daughter she's basically a grown-up like the only interaction that we see between the daughter and daisy is the daughter goes up and shakes uh the hands of nick and gatsby and she she's talking about getting ready for the luncheon and things like that and so it's like the daughter is forced to grow up so fast and she is also as much as like Daisy wanted her to be a beautiful fool, uh, she is expected Which is to be. Which is kind of weird. Yeah, but she's expected because, to be like, a certain way. Because like, wouldn't you rather have than a boy? Yeah, no, they would rather have a boy. That's why I think there is no relationship between Tom and um, the daughter and Pammy because Tom, like the son having a boy, would be an heir, right? It would be an heir to yeah. all their wealth. The the a daughter is a burden. Which is why I think uh, Daisy says just a beautiful little fool. And that's why she sort of keeps the daughter away from Tom. And it's just projecting. It's society being horrible and toxic again. Because it's that idea in which like older women. It's similar to that idea in which older women are like, oh my god. You're gonna, you should savor your youth and look pretty forever because you're not gonna have it and then it's gonna go to waste. It's like, no, you're just enforcing something that's in your own head and therefore by perpetuating it and telling the other ones, then it's perpetuating it for the rest of society and it's not going yeah. to leave. Um, yeah. And also just like the fact that she tries to separate um, Tom, Tom and Pammy. 
And PAMI is also, like, a really common thing in, like, abusive relationships. Like, here, for example, I'll use, like, the example of a rapist. Like, in many rape cases, there's typically a huge wish from the woman that the child doesn't look like their rapist and mostly looks like themselves because it's not a reminder. And because, therefore, they are able to greater separate themselves. And we see Daisy talk about how the daughter looks nothing like Tom, and she's very proud of that fact, you know. It's also, like, it's... The child is also one of the only things that she was able to accomplish. Like, Tom needed her to have a child. And so yeah. she she played... She had control in that moment, you know? I feel like that's why so many women throughout history just... Like, part of it is definitely gender roles um, mm-hmm. and sexism and whatnot. But I think, like, when it comes to upper class where they're not able to do anything else except be a mother it's part of the reason why they just attach so much because that's the only thing they really have control over and even then like then we have king henry mm-hmm. who was like mm, yeah he didn't have a son <laughs> even though it was his own fault yeah logically oh my god i know and it's actually it's it's something like the daughter in her in this society, a child is the only thing that Daisy can hold as her own and can hold as something that she had control over. And she is forced to choose between a child and her freedom, right? Like, her freedom would be freedom, I say, uh, yeah, quote. with quotation marks because, you know, it's subjective, but her freedom would be going with Gatsby and that sort of liberation from this abusive relationship she's in but to do that she would give up the role of of mother and we see that in a doll's house too and every book we've seen and even today in society there's this idea of like you for you to be an independent woman you can't be tied down by family you know and it becomes like you can have one or the other yeah yeah I think it's also just uh I think this might be the final thing um but like the the fact that Gatsby then in chapter six, it's de- he's described as afterward he kept looking at the child with surprise. I don't think he had ever really believed in its existence before. First of all, the use of <laughs> its is kind oh. of funny because no. it's like first of all objectification. Second of all, it's genuinely like the the guy really didn't think the child existed. Mm-hmm. Because she's always only been talking about. It. She's never actually been there, right? Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because it kind of breaks the fantasy, the illusion mm-hmm. in Gatsby's the head cool a little bit. Mm-hmm. The cool girl illusion? Mm-hmm. The cool girl illusion and also the fact that everything can go the way he wants. It's mm. like all of a sudden, no, it's not just Daisy. It's Daisy has a child. <laughs> yeah. Daisy has a child. Like this little... This little child is like coming around like, hello, I really want hugs from my mother, please. (laughs) Um, And Gatsby's just there like, oh yeah, that's a Mm. thing. Yeah, maybe it breaks his his idea of what their relationship is and will grow to be. Yeah, and I think it breaks just the idea that it's just him and Daisy. Like it kind Mm. of sparks some sort of reminder that reality is not what he's making it out to be <laughs> yeah and now we're out of time we we've actually gone 
Yes, we should. We have gone way over time, actually. Miss Bingham, I'm sorry. Don't get mad at us. <laughs> I hope you enjoy. Um, we had a good, a good amount of fun. I think you can hear the tiredness seeping into our voices as we go. But thank you for listening to Chaotic Literature with your hosts, Laura and Lara.